Welcome to The Gray Report. I'm your host, Spencer Gray, joined by Director in Communications and Marketing at Gray Capital, Matt Bosnagle. If you're a real estate investor, you know, an aspiring investor, or you are in the real estate industry, you're in the right spot. Because every week on The Gray Report, we are tackling all the latest research reports, data points, articles, and opinions that come out related to the multifamily industry, real estate and the economy. We've got a lot of good reports. Again, the economy's crazy. We've got a war in Ukraine going on. We've got crazy gas prices, but reports from Market Watch, Marcus and Millichap, RealPage, and Yardy, as well as just opinions from Matt and I and others. Let's get into it. Well, I apologize. Our, my dog, our office dog, Tuvok, is walking around the Gray Capital studio, hopefully not going to distract us too much. Um, he's taking a little walk of shame right now. But Matt, how yeah. the hell are you doing, man? Pretty good. You know, it's getting it's getting warm. It's, it's really nice. I know that it's going to flip and be, and be freezing, but I think that it's like kind of a, the literary term is pathetic fallacy. Volatile weather, volatile, uh, volatile economy. There's a, so I bring Doctor Doctor Bosnagle on every week for that good uh, literary um, verbiage That's that right. no one understands. Appreciate, yeah. I, pre- I appreciate that. No, it is yeah. beautiful weather out right now. Um, I mm-hmm. was on a podcast earlier this morning talking about green shoots as an analogy, but um, mm-hmm. it's nice to see some literal green shoots popping out yeah. of the earth. Makes us all feel a little bit better, especially if you're in a cold, semi-cold weather climate like we are here in. Indianapolis, we're kind of middle of the road. It's not yeah. cold all the time, but it, yeah, a little bit of a gray winter. Happy for spring. Matt, we've got inflation. I mean, oil, what, it was $130 like yesterday. Now it's like, now it's in correction territory. With nickels up something nuts. And then rents continue to rise. Demand for uh, residential real estate, you know, continues yeah. to be strong. Um, but we are in uncharted territory, yeah. um, to say the least. And you know, while we did not start the gray report to um, help explain uncharted territory, we <laughs> did try to. We started the gray report really originating as a newsletter, which you can sign up for at greatcapitalllc.com/newsletter. We did it to, just to make sure that we were on top of the market, just seeing where things were going, and also to help others, uh, investors, just people who are interested, get access to some of these research reports because, mm-hmm. like we discovered this morning, again, they're just not always disseminated that well. And yeah. it's like we've got like a Yardy report that like I got emailed, but you didn't see that's not on their website. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember seeing these great reports. I'm like, I don't, I missed this report. It came out three months ago, but if I had this information, yeah. maybe I could have made a decision differently back then. Well, and sometimes they'll have a, they'll post a report and then they will take it down a couple of days later. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Stay up to date. <laughs> Stay up to date. That's why we've got a whole team covering it. Um, first, you know, headline again, um, we're talking about inflation. Um, the reason why we're talking about inflation, obviously because it affects the economy in so many different ways from individuals to producers. Yeah. The producer price index came out um, from the Bureau of Labor and Statistics just a couple of days ago. We've got ten percent PPI year over year. Yeah, yeah, that's that's insane. Um, and I did a I did a, a presentation over the weekend about risk factors of the multifamily industry, and mm-hmm. you know, inflation wasn't on that list because inflation is a driver for real estate and yeah. real assets. Um, really, deflation is the enemy. So, it's it's a uh, Net, mostly positive for multifamily, 
but there's so much disruptions in the economy. You know, yeah. what we're always concerned about is what's going to, what are the second and third order effects that maybe cause a recession, mm-hmm. a downturn in the economy. And yeah. so it's, it, we got to watch it. Um, but what, what's new? What are you seeing in terms of the inflation watch? You know, there, this was a, a week where I really started thinking about inflation a lot, where I really start, I was like, okay, things are getting serious. And in a, in a way that you know, it was already overdetermined, there was, it was already yeah. going to be deflationary or inflationary, I'm sorry. And this week, it just seemed, things just seem to be compounding. Yep. Um, now, the, this Market Watch article talks about wholesale inflation surging to uh, to 10%. That's the, the producer price index. And it says, you know, the article title says that there's a silver lining mm. um, to this inflation indicator, which uh, that's the clickbait that made me find out. Um, they say that their silver lining is core PPI, which if you, mm. which that's, that is inflation if you exclude food and energy prices, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that inflation, core inflation, did not increase as much as PPI as a whole. Um, year over year. Yeah, year over year. Yeah. And, and you know, depending on what chart you're you're using, you know, I, I have a Fred chart that I've pulled up that shows that it went down 0.2%. The market watch calculation has it up 0.2%. Um, but either way, you know, however you slice it, it did not increase as much as PPI as a whole. And you can see why they say that the Fed prefers uh, core PPI as opposed to just PPI in, that includes food and energy because once you include food and energy, that graph gets wild. It's all over the place. Even though, and we were talking about this before, it's uh, we understand why the Fed uses it because it's like much, yeah. not you remove the volatility, so it makes them less needing to make um, knee-jerk reactions Mm -hmm. based on short-term volatility. But you're also not looking at the full actual higher frequency picture of what inflation um, it, it looks like. Yeah, people still paying for gas. They're still paying. Yeah. They have to pay for food. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, especially, I mean, those are two essentially inelastic um, parts of the economy. I mean, you've yeah. got to drive to work. You know, you, you may not go on a vacation. You may not buy a new fancy pair, pair of jeans mm-hmm. um, or whatever it may be. But... You're going to have to get to work and you have to have a place to live. Yeah. Um, and so, and you have to eat something, maybe not a fancy restaurant, but you have to eat something. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of um, inelasticity um, on those yeah. that aren't being included. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, um, I, I've mentioned before, and you've kind of heard us before, we talked about inflation before. We talked about it last year. I don't usually bang the drum. And we've said, you yeah. know, inflation just is. You know, we we are far more interested in what you do about inflation than inflation itself. Um, so kind of with this in mind, I'm going to have to darken the silver lining a little okay. bit. Because this it, it really, this this past week, I've really been thinking a lot about inflation, especially how it might affect the multifamily market. Yeah. Um, firstly, even acknowledging, again, that core PPI is good for the Fed, like you said, uh, it's a big part of people's lives. It's a big part of the economy. Mm-hmm. You kind of can't. You kind of can't uh, eliminate it from inflation because it's just a necessity. Um, secondly, core PPI still has a ways to go before it even comes close to approaching historical levels of inflation. Right now, the core numbers are at eight point three six. So prices for producers are eight point three six higher than they were last year. So still got. Uh, there's a lot it's still high yeah <laughs> it, it may not have increased that much but it's still very high and in the 10 years before um february 2021 the highest this number got was 2.9 percent which happened once in august 2021 and once in december 2018 that's it that's as high as it got and now we're at eight we're way higher than 2.9 percent we're at 8.36 percent 
And um, and then just to continue with uh, with this comparison of PPI, CPI, all these all these things, I included CPI on this graph, which on YouTube you can see it represented by a red line, which looks a lot more stable than um, PPI. I can't find a really perfect correlation between the two here. Sometimes CPI seems to move ahead. Sometimes it seems to move behind CPI, but it definitely looks like the producer price index takes a lot wilder swings. Well, in the CPI. producer price index in general, it's typically um, considered to be a leading indicator mm -hmm. and uh, CPI is a lagging indicator. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. Yeah. The producers pay for it, then you pay for yeah, it. Yeah, the inputs but and like, then you I was still it. even looking, it's like, it's not that perfect. No. And, um, um, and if anything, you, if anything, it's like, it just shows how much more stable the CPI is. There are some times when the, when the PPI goes up huge spikes mm -hmm. and you don't really see that. And, and it means that really, you know, they're not charging that much more for stuff. Sometimes I guess the producers are really losing money because their inputs are so much more expensive. So, so we're, are, what you're saying, Matt, now, now I'm not, I, I, oh man, now I'm getting in trouble. So what you're saying, Matt is what <laughs> your assertion your assertion is from what joe biden yeah yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. You me, so, so joe biden's saying it's uh the greedy corporations mm -hmm. and now it's it's putin's fault but what really what you're saying it's it's not greedy corporations it's probably not it's probably not putin. <laughs> it maybe, seem, maybe now, just the economy i'm only looking at lines on a page and <laughs> but but it does seem like there are times when the producer prices are way high and you're not seeing the it consumer prices get, to, get yeah. the same so i you know however you slice it may you know maybe corporations still find a way to, to be profitable um but <laughs> how, how, yeah how dare they yeah but uh how dare they make money but you know, the upshot is like i think that the it definitely seems more reactionary and more volatile. You can see a lot more wild swings with uh, with yeah. PPI versus yep. CPI. Yep. And again, like I said, yeah, all all this is lines on a page. What really has moved me, and especially in this past week, are the kind of factors, um, the more like qualitative narrative, uh, these trends that are compounding, multiplying, accelerating, whatever. Everything that's going into inflation seems like it's just. Uh, adding to each other. Um, you've got these economies emerging from, and, and let me know if I'm missing anything. Yeah. <laughs> so you got economies emerging from, from pandemic with pent up demand, material shortages due to uneven recoveries and impacts of the pandemic alongside logistical delays, labor shortages that are driving burgeoning wage increases, relatively loose monetary policy from the Fed, even factoring in the Fed's plan to curb asset production and increase rates, it's still yeah. relatively loose. Which that's supposed to be happening to be announced today 25 yeah. basis points uh yeah but even and then there's the still present effects of government spending yeah um as the money from last year's infrastructure bill makes its way into the economy which is gonna still keep happening and then there's the undeniable effect of the war in ukraine um i think that all of these together really make inflation um really hard to ignore yeah i mean there was high relatively high moderate to high inflation forecast prior to the war in ukraine russia's invasion mm -hmm. and now um you know Defense spending isn't going to go down. Yeah. I mean, that, not just the United States, but all of the yeah. European countries. Every day, it's like uh, you know, Germany just uh, put an order in for F thirty five fighter jets. Mm -hmm. All these European countries are increasing their defense spending. Uh, United States never decreases our defense yeah. spending. Um, but then the whole oil oil issue of you know cutting off um, you know oil oil imports from yeah. Russia with mm -hmm. producers not necessarily stepping up as quickly. Yeah. Um, you, there's a couple good um, illustrations. If you look at, you know, think about all of the products that use petroleum and oil oh, as yeah. an input. It's like, it's everything just mm -hmm. about. And so 
it's a lot of stuff that goes into housing. Yeah. And so like that wasn't necessarily priced in, but now everything that in terms of inflation and that's not going to, again, it's not going to decrease prices mm-hmm. if oil's Well, and, and one thing that I, you know, and I think oil, and we'll, we'll return to this, but it's like such a complicated uh, um, system yeah. and it's very globalized. You know, people talk about like, oh, let's get energy independence, but like we're connected throughout the world. We're refining other mm-hmm. people's oil and sending it back. And we're yeah. combining Russian oil with a bunch of different oil so that we get a uh, really good oil in the refine. There's just like all of this. All this interdependency. Yeah. 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 And so... It, even though Russia and everyone talks about how Russia is like a small fraction, energy is so uh, is such a huge part of the economy that one little tweak can send things spiraling out of control. Mm-hmm. It's not it's totally not hard to imagine, you know, something. And and I I, I heard somewhere was that Russia is about 10 percent of the oil production in the world. Um, I think it's I think 10 percent of our U.S. import. I mean, no, you're right. 10%, yeah, production in the world, which is not huge, but That's it's, it's 10, 10%, 10%. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, for the United States, it's it's like 6% of like our total. Okay. Like, it, yeah. We're, we're producing most of our oil domestically, um, you know, these days. Mm-hmm. And I think that like the, reserve, the release of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is like going to basically, you know, it's basically going to make up for the lack of imports, but that doesn't change the price because yeah. the prices are still going up. Even if you mm-hmm. replace a little bit of the oil and the way that these refineries make money, they need that the Russian oil too. That's part of their system. And yeah. so we're screwing up with their system. That's gotta, that's gotta drive yeah, the price. I'm sure they're figuring Except, it out now, but yeah, even though there's like, ugh, it's like the volatility now. Cause it's now oils in correction, correction territory, but Again, this is why I like multifamily apartments. I can like I'm interested exactly. in all the volatility, but I can just like sit back and just watch it all happen. And and I'm like, that means rents are gonna all these prices are going up. That means rents are gonna go up yeah. even more. So this especially is, with wages going. This up. is what really got me from from the perspective of like a multifamily investor. This is what really got me kind of worried, excited, anxious, whatever. Pick your emotion here. Yeah. Um, you know, th- I'm thinking about an investor. Things are really unpredictable. Inflation is, uh, at this point, a far gone conclusion. And what do you do to protect yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, preser- this is, um, it's getting to be this kind of inflation desperation yeah. where where people are in, not, I don't want to say fight or flight mode, but they're in preservation mode, which is, a, which is a lot stronger drive than a profit mode. You know, there's a desire for profit, but there's a need for preservation. Mm-hmm. And what can you do to protect yourself? Where can you go? What Where can you put your money? And I think that, you know, this multifamily seems like this like light at the end of a tunnel and i you know yes maybe you you, people could go to gold or to crypto but um it it seems like there is so much of a draw there and as much competition as we've already seen in the multifamily industry we uh we could see even more people come into it yeah i I know i think that's the case we're seeing that i mean we're seeing foreign investment um you know rise but towards multifamily in in multifamily investment rise domestically as well and it's 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 kind of weird because you know you don't want to never want to you never want to bet against the U.S. economy, and investing in multifamily is not a bet against the U.S. economy. I mean, when yeah. the U.S. economy does well, multifamily does well. Um, but unlike some other asset classes, I mean, we're really—I mean, if you wanted to still down like the interest of investing into multifamily, besides you know housing demand and that inelastic demand and supply demand imbalances, we're shorting the U.S. dollar. Yeah, and you know we're not saying I want to go short the U.S. dollar because I don't like the you know the United States. It's just. It is a, a defensive position that has yeah. still room for upside, and, and again, so you have all. I've personally, um, and I'm sure we all have the, kind of these conflicting feelings of being like, 
of seeing things happen that we are not going to um, be beneficial to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, like a war, like inflation. Mm hmm. But the possibility of these events was the driver to invest in multifamily, understanding that there is a possibility. Yeah. yeah. And but then you, there, there's still a feeling of though of like I don't know. It's like you're betting. It seems like you're betting against the house, or you're betting on the don't pass line in a sense. You know that yes, maybe, but also like this is a hedge against inflate. I don't need. I don't. I was thinking about this. Like, so you buy. Let's let's just say it's a house. It's just a piece of an asset, like a physical mm -hmm. asset that will that will um, that will st remain stable as as the dollar value increases. So that all it does is remain stable. You know, the value of the house or will the increase. dollar decreases. The, the value of the dollar yeah. goes down. But I'm the real sorry. Estate, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The yeah. value of the dollar decreases. The real estate value stays the same. So really, you're kind of you're just floating mm -hmm. along with it. You're not necessarily taking advantage of it. Um, but I think that what may happen is as more people pile into it. You, the existing investors are really seeing a benefit the most in this in this position. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was gonna say like now's the time to invest, and I'll say this I'll say this same words later. <laughs> uh, but really, you know, yesterday and a year ago was a time sure, to invest. Sure. But even now, there's room for growth. Well, like we talked specifically with apartments, you know, there's a little bit of I mean, we've seen the the flash before you hear the sound in terms of you know inflation and market rent growth, yeah. and there's usually like a 12 to 24 month period of trying to get up all the effective rents up to that market rent growth. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it leads to some opportunities um, and it's delayed. We can kind of see, all right, what the next couple, you know, maybe year or so will probably look like, not for certain. Yeah. Um, but, but again, I just I feel weird being like seeing a article where it's like, there's going to be more inflation and being like, okay, well that's, that's going to directly result um, for, you know, higher returns for multifamily. It's like, yeah. I don't want to feel good about that, but it was also kind of part of our investment thesis yeah. com coming home. Mm -hmm. um, and we, it's not like we accidentally stumbled into it also. I mean, go back to watching the video we did like January 2021 yeah. when we've, you know, I mean, I knew there was going to be, I mean, we said it, we mm -hmm. said it, we, mm -hmm. it's a, not a matter of, yeah. Yeah, if inflation happened, it's how much <laughs> we, in, we said it so long. much we got bored of saying it. <laughs> I know, and it's like we're beating a dead horse. Yeah. Um, but there's new information that comes out every day that directly, you know, affects yeah. you know the economy. And that's why I wanted to talk about it today is because there does seem to be a qualitative difference, especially with with the war. Um, when you add this add this together, this uncertainty really, um, I, I am I'm wondering when this kind of desperation is going to enter in, in investors. Uh, mindsets. I, I, well, I, I think I think it, it is it, in, the, in the public markets in the stock market. I mean, all I mean, nuclear war is priced in right <laughs> now. Just ju not really, just about. But a lot of these downside things have been completely priced in mm -hmm. to the market. And I think some of this uncertainty is going to create some opportunity because yeah. I'm hoping um, it leaves an opportunity to get into multifamily. But as we learned last week, I was last week we were bidding on a big portfolio. Mentioned it last week. Um, I'm like, man, maybe something's going to be on the sidelines with this whole Ukraine thing. Yeah. Not the case. Not the yeah, case. Yeah. More people are, are interested. Well, so it's and still this is what I wanted to note for, uh, before we move on, um, is that one of the things that multifamily does kind of have going for it, aside from REITs, um, you know, anyone can buy a REIT, anyone can buy, anyone can buy gold, anyone can buy mm. crypto, you can go out and buy that. Um, but you have to have a special set 
of, uh, you know, special set of skills, uh, some expertise and knowledge that not everyone has in order to put a deal together. In order to participate in a deal, you may probably have to be an accredited investor or have at least like 50 grand for a lot of these apartment syndications. There are barriers to entry and multifamily is an illiquid. It's not traded with as much frequency. So that really kind of insulates it a little Mm -hmm. bit. and It doesn't make it easy for people to pile into the market as much. But even so, I think money, when the money's there, people will probably find a way to do it. Yeah. Well, as of, I think, January, $248 billion of dry powder that's sitting a, on the sidelines of the family. I don't think that number has gone down. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the war in Ukraine, uh, the the kind of the horrible invasion um, from Russia into um, into Ukraine, a lot of people, do people, people call it the Ukraine? I don't know. No, it's it, Ukraine. It's Ukraine. I don't know, but why do people say that? Uh, that- at the same time that people started saying, no, people said the Ukraine, I think, because the United States. Hmm. Okay. And then uh, this is my unscientific theory. And then I think around the same people, around the same time that people started saying Ukraine, they also started pronouncing Kiev, Kiev. And now it's back to Kiev because then all the Ukraine people are it's kind of like it's like a it's like an in between. Okay. No, no one was right. sure like the proper because I, I I thought the improper pronunciation was Kiev. Yeah. But then it, or then the, then the proper was Kiev. But then hearing a bunch of Ukrainians that are like Kiev. Okay, I'm gonna have to. Am I like, okay? Anyway, yeah. not to. Anyway, we're, we're, anyway, Ukraine crisis to reverberate across global economy, U.S. real estate position to withstand the impacts. And John Chang from Marcus and um, Milichap has been doing a great job of kind of keeping things in um, context. Yeah. This article, or I'm sorry, this report really pairs well with a with a, a research video that he did specifically on the Russian oil ban and its impact on real estate investors. In this study, he leads with the oil prices as you know this uh, as this big factor, especially when it comes to inflation. Um, I'd love a quick five minute explainer on the major factors behind oil prices, but as I've mentioned before, it's it's really hard <laughs> to untangle this. Now you mentioned before Spencer about how U.S. Um, oil production. Is there's there's some capacity there, yeah. and I do remember you know this is part of what I've learned recently just trying to dip my toe into the subject that um, you know U.S. produced a whole lot in 2018. I was reading articles that was it it was one of the highest growing um, in terms of like global oil production. U.S. grew far and away more than anyone else in 2018, um, and so what happened and. And I can get you please comment on this and send me um, angry emails if I'm wrong here. Um, U.S. produced a lot in 2018. The price went down and it kind of changed the calculation for oil producers and how much money they make between upping oil production or not. Because I think that in 2018, they upped production too much. It drove the price of oil down to, un- yeah. to less profitable. Well, it went uh, negative levels. during the beginning of the pandemic as yeah. demand just to your point. They were producing a lot, a lot of oil, mm-hmm. like record amount of oil, which yeah. cheap gas. OK. Um, but then demand just like everyone stopped driving their car for like a month or two. Yeah. And now, and, and I think what is true is it seems like oil producers don't want to produce more when they could just make more money and continue to produce the same amount. So there's more risk for them to up production because that might um, increase. And you see now, you know, uh, uh, oil prices are in that correction territory. And again, like there's so much volatility that I think that having this consistent oil production is probably favored uh, by oil production. Now, that's not to say that, that, you know, supposedly there's talk of 
putting the Defense Production Act into into action to kind of spur oil production or some, you know, there's some kind of heavy hand of government that might try. Um, I think that there, and John Chang notes this in his video of tapping into the strategic oil yep. reserves, which seems like more of a stopgap solution. Yeah. Um, I think that there may, I, I could see instead of, you know, demanding uh, production to happen, there may be a way to encourage and make it profitable at the same time to um, for for oil for oil producers. Some, the, somebody's there. You just market's going to figure that thing out. I yeah. mean, because it's like yeah. if the prices are so high, like again, exactly. That's what like, I keep thinking about. Someone's like, going to be like, oh, I've got I've got some oil on the ground over here. Why yeah. aren't going to plug that? Because everyone thinks, well, I'm going to plug it and drill it and sell it before the price goes down. Mm-hmm. But if you own, you know, if you own some oil production property yeah, you know why wouldn't you money every yeah, day that well, you're, you've got at least somebody's thinking about it somebody's going to do it and then all of a sudden yeah and sometimes you know you see these drops down and you realize oh man i should have sold just yesterday when it was really yeah. high it's yeah. not gonna get high again um, um another thing that john chang notes in this study at least is he, he talks about um positive demographics remain a key factor supporting the housing market as millennials age into the prime rental cohort. Um, so that's one one big thing when it comes to commercial real estate specifically. Yeah. Well, especially when you know we, we anticipate so many millennials um, buying homes, but they just can't afford to buy a home. And yeah. um, so they're, they're staying renters for longer, while at the same time, you've got a whole new generation of renters, the Gen Z generation, that is now looking for a place to rent. They're graduating yeah. college. Um, and then baby boomers as well that are filling up some of the apartments as as yeah. well. And I'm bleeding over a little bit to the video, um, it's but it's and I and I can kind of summarize it here and instead of forcing everyone <laughs> to watch it. Um, but he makes a good point that it is a fluid situation. Things are changing every day, and um, everyone. And this week, I'm going. One thing that I that he does note too is that um, there are other factors here, and he noted here he noted when he talks about positive demographics in the housing market. You know, there's stuff we we said this on this newsletter um, is there's stuff happening. It's not all the it's not all the war in Ukraine, and um, there are other pressures, especially on the oil on oil prices. I was looking into this, and it's and I read an article from Barron's that talks about how on the demand side for oil. Fears about an aggressive policy response from Beijing's uh, from Beijing to China's COVID mm. outbreak has raised the prospect of a much weaker demand for oil. So there are things, there are factors in oil that maybe could reduce demand, decrease prices, um, but it's not a single. There's not a single factor in this. Well, but uh, then like we market. were talking about just before this, so it like decreases the demand for oil, but then you know there's not as much output on the supply side from yeah. China, yeah. and so it's like okay, prices go down for for oil, but then they go then, then the supply chains have additional bottlenecks, and so yeah. there, there's so many variables and inputs. And, you know, Matt, you were talking about trying to figure all this out. And it's like, yeah. well, no one's got it figured out. Yeah. The, the only thing we can do is, is try to look at the situation, gather the right information, good quality information, and, and try to, you know, navigate the best we can. But, yeah. I mean, Federal, Federal Reserve, they don't, they don't know. Yeah. They, don't, they don't know. <laughs> well, Nobody knows. I'm not, no one knows. And that's, and that's really the real upshot of this. Yeah. And, you know, I wrote down here the upshot is inflation, but no, no, no. The real upshot is interest rates. The real upshot is Fed um, thinking that they really have to do something. Um, and so John, John Chang says at the end, near the end of that video, that interest rates will face increased upward pressure and economic growth in 2022 and 2023 could be slowed. Higher risk of stagflation. And, but really, um, for investors, especially multifamily investors, that are looking to get um, good 
a good loan on their properties, maybe higher interest rates could make their yeah. profit margins a little bit less. Yeah, no, that is definitely a factor. We are paying attention to really stressing our models up to higher bounds, you know, mm. for using floating rate, making sure we have a cap in place. So, you know, we're just capped at the interest that we can pay. I mean, but that's certainly, that's going to be a, it's going to be an attenuator to um, real estate um, and cap rate, further cap rate compre- compression. Yeah. I don't see cap rates like rising too much, um, although they've like lowered even more than people I think have realized because now that most transactions are in the low fours, high threes, which is crazy okay. to think when we were in yeah. mid fives up to, and we were buying deals for six cap like yeah. yesterday, it seems like. Um, big deals, newer deals. Um and but if your interest rate you know is rising significantly that that's something i can underwrite like yeah. i know as lenders like this is your you know this is your spread over whatever base indexed mm-hmm. okay i can i can underwrite that if you're doing a short-term bridge it's a little it's a little bit more difficult to forecast but on the growth assumptions is very difficult right mm-hmm. now as we know growth is yeah. high we're not we're probably going to be growing rents higher than three percent then we've got all this lagging growth that's already occurred the difference between market rent and effective rents but then what is the future growth and all the numbers look like crazy red flag numbers like that you would never put into a model you'd be laughed at i mean we we had a conversation with with a large uh, crowdfunding um, platform yesterday i was interested in investing in some of our projects and um they were they were they were like we're having a hard time getting you know wrapping our head around some of this organic growth i'm like I, I get I get it, but it is, this is already this has already happened. Like yeah. we're not m- making this up. This is already this has already occurred. This is what and they're already re- like. There's this this is the gap that we're seeing today. Not factoring in. I'm like we're not even factoring in additional yeah. inflation and growth, which is what we've been talking about right now. And then things have moved so quickly. Mm-hmm. Time has been compressed because, and that's part of part of the, the anxiety that that I was, when we were talking about inflation is the rapidness, yeah, uh, the speed at which it's happening. It's like you better get in. Yeah, you see, you always know in the past. It's like yeah, we know inflation's going on, but it, it was at a such a low level. level. I mean, the past ten years has been sub two yeah. percent essentially. That like yeah, okay, it's that it's going to be dollars going to be worth less, but but but. But just on the margins, yeah. And so I kind of you sort of assume the same type of expenses. I mean, you would still like in, in modeling and apartment acquisition, you still have you know an expense inflation assumption, usually two percent. You should use higher than that now, um, but but it was much more like linear and, and it pretty steady. But now it's like it's grown so much, yeah. And like we're looking at, um, it's really difficult because like exit cap, exit prices on like a price per unit basis are so much more than they are today because there's going to be future growth and they're so much more than they were last year. Yeah. Even the current price per door acquisition prices are mind-boggling. Now, they make sense because of the incomes. You can justify them. They still throw off good cash flow and then we're factoring in, okay, we're going to see moderate growth for the next year and then it's going to taper off and then you're seeing a um, price per unit, you know, call it five years from now, that is really expensive and it's like, well we're moving so quickly um yeah, you know yeah. again this time has been compressed and, and so multifamily supposed to be the long-term thing it doesn't yeah you know you don't have to think it's not it. a get rich <laughs> yeah i know but it's like wow it happened it's amazing what's ha- what happens in a year yeah but there's this there's this like time and space displacement of we mm-hmm. are looking thinking about future prices through today's eyes which yeah. if we did that same exercise even 12 months ago 
it would be crazy. I mean, yeah. we were talking about, you know, cost, uh, you know, um, replacement cost. Replacement cost is very hard to determine right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like we knew of replacement costs in some properties built not too long ago of $100,000 per unit. You no longer can buy a, you know, there's not that much on the market for $100,000 per unit yeah. any anymore. I mean, you know, Suncrest, we bought Suncrest for $100,000 a unit last year. And that same type of property would now be trading for 150 to 175k per door, and if if I would have shown an investor, we we didn't assume that, but it's like if we would have thought about that last year, we bring into a big sophisticated investor, private equity group, a family office. Some of our, you know, our larger investors, they, mm-hmm. they, they would, they, they would have, they would have like laughed at us and called yeah, yeah. called us crazy, and then it, then it's happened. Um, so it's an incredible time to be alive. And, and again, just to reiterate, I think the importance of what, not to toot, you know, our own horn of what we're doing, but I think if you're not, if you're not a consuming the right information at mm-hmm. a very high frequency, if you're not. You could be a month behind, a week behind, a quarter yeah. behind, and you're totally yeah. you're living in a different world. In well, reality. and this is, and you know, that kind of leads into a little bit of my notes on the Yardy Matrix report, um, because as much as it feels like, wow, it it, it sure did peak, didn't it? <laughs> as much as it, as it seems like the good times were last year in 2021, um, going to be a pretty good year in 2022. Maybe not the dizzying highs of 2021, but yeah. again, like we said. Th- all of the evidence continues to su- to support the idea it's going to be another record rent growth um, for the multifamily uh, market for this year, um, for 2022. Um, I did the, a little bit of the math. Now, this is moving on to this Yardy Matrix February 2022 report. They recorded a 0.2, um, a little, oh, I'm sorry, a little over half a percent, so 0.6% rent growth last month. Now, if you extend this 0.6% out um, over 12 months, you get a 7.2% rent growth for 2020. Now, February is even a slow month, too. So it's probably going to grow even more than 7.2. Yeah, you usually don't see the increase until March, yeah. April, and June is the peak. So, so I, you know, it could easily be 10% rent growth for 2022. And that's a, that what, what do you see? What's a typical rent growth number? Is it like three, 2%? Three. three. Yeah. So that's at least double, probably triple. Um, uh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It. We've had multiple <laughs> years of growth compressed into like, a year. Yeah. And now we're having multiple years again compressed into a year. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like I, like I said, um, the, I like the um, one of the, the – now this was on the teaser page, but it said, just when it seemed multifamily asking rent had nowhere to go but down, the market defied expectations in February and rose to a new high of 15.4%. Yeah, so nice. just when you think it's going to be good. It's even better. Oh, it, it's 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 incredible. Just look at this national, you know, average rents. I mean, yeah. So yeah. I mean, February. Look, let's look at February last year. I mean, it had really had nothing much. Not much had happened. It started mm-hmm. kind of really again March into February, I guess, but really March. And it just it's, it's where it really accelerates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point too. Is 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 um, February really in March through to March? You're the gases the people are still starting to hit up hit, you yeah know. they now they don't say here at least i'm not and if you're listening on the podcast basically you know national rents february 21 were um right at 1400 basically um per month for 1400 for your monthly rent um it, it's we're at 620 we're at 1625 
Um, yeah, that's 15.4% year-over-year growth, um, according to Yardis. Yeah, that that's incredible. Now, I believe, I'm assuming this is, so this is, this is the point I, I, I keep making because... Mm-hmm. People still don't get it. Yeah. Um, and it's just based on conversations. But so this is market rent growth. This is not like all the rents at the communities yeah, and apartments themselves. Most of the people themselves. aren't paying that rent Most yet. of the people aren't paying that rent, but rent very rarely goes down. It's incredibly sticky. Market rents don't usually go down. And so mm-hmm. all of this is this 15%. Again, this is the flash that we've seen. We haven't heard the sound. The sound is the actual yeah. effect of rents that are going to happen. This has already happened it's a leading indicator mm-hmm. of what the next 12 to 24 months are going to hold. And that is why I am incredibly, you know, just bullish in general right yeah. now. I mean, Remember great this- point. Last year, two years ago, time the best time to invest. Now is next best thing. Yeah. I forget whether it was Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac when we did some studies. We went over some studies in early February. Oh, yeah. And one of, well, one of them said, one of them had a, they had a less, they recorded less rent growth in 2021 than 2022 because they were actually mar- they were actually measure measuring actual rents. Yeah. Like there's, it's probably, there's going to be more actual rent growth in 2022 than 2021. I, I, I think so. It's just talking to even a lot of very professional, large apartment managers and operators, they missed the boat. They weren't subscribed to the gray report. They weren't subscribed to the the newsletter. They weren't watching the Chi YouTube channel and Mm -hmm. certainly not subscribed to the podcast. Yeah. And even some deals that, you know, that we're, I'm in as a limited partner or as a a co GP. And I'm like, you know, you know, Hey, you know, (laughs) why I'm like, we're like $300 below. Yeah. rent like are we what, what are we doing and it's like we know our property managers or regionals just you know they didn't realize and there's a psych Blink. there's psychology there of like oh i don't want to you know that that just seems too much last mm-hmm. year we just raised rents ten dollars why would we rent you know 50 or 100 seems crazy yeah. but it, it's really just where um the, the market is and the entire market can move um beyond you and you're really missing out on that mm-hmm. and it, it's people don't Again, it's the greedy corporations is what people you know are accusing of doing this, but yeah. it's like this is where the market has already moved. The prices of everything else have increased. What do you expect us to do? Just mm-hmm. sit, sit around and I mean, file for you know nonprofit status, I guess. <laughs> but unless you are, like, why aren't your responsibility is to you know your investors to you know keep yeah. rents at market, work with your resident base to you know don't price anybody out. But we got to work with the market, and uh, we're seeing wages rise, which yeah. is going to accommodate some of this. You know, and that's and again, I, I know I'm, re- I'm repeating myself. Even after 2021, it still seems like now's the time to get in. Now there's still so much more room. You know, we had the promise in 2021. We're really starting to see the benefits now, and there's still more to come. And it just it it seems this is part of why I'm excited and anxious. This is yeah. part of why the market is so hot right now is because there is a real there's a very uh a very short window of opportunity to really realize a lot yeah, of gains yeah it, it could be longer but I, th- I think this i think like the next 12 months we talked about this like yeah. right, right now right now honestly even not not 12 months six months because mm-hmm. we're gonna see that you know we're gonna may june july is gonna be here we're gonna see crazy growth we're gonna yeah. see prices rise and like i'd rather get in you know q1 q2 mm-hmm. of 22 than you know, Q1 of 23 or Q4 of 22 because the prices and the rents are going to be completely different. Yeah. And there's in, uh, you just, when you just see it, um, just, just, just like when, you know, the, you know, $4 trillion of, you know, government stimulus spending during yeah. COVID, I'm just thinking, I, 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 
it's weird. I, I remember, I remember the morning. Mm-hmm. I'm like, literally, I'm in the shower, and I'm, and I'm like, just thinking about this, yeah. and I'm like, and I just, I just had this. <laughs> this sounds weird, but it's like I had this vision of it's like literal jet fuel, just like being like, like pumped on the ground. It's not being ignited yet, because like the yeah. economy is moving, it's all shut down. Mm-hmm. Then you're gonna turn this thing on, it's all going to ignite into inflation. Yeah, and I'm like, I see this going one direction and one direction only. Because the alternative is just like, you know, total financial collapse. And, you know, what are you going to what are you going to do there? You know, yeah. but so, you know, again, like nuclear war, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So you, how do you protect yourself? There's no reason to sell, you know, during a nuclear war, because if it happens, everyone's dead anyway. Yeah. yeah and yeah. there's no one to buy or what are you going to do with it? Yeah. So um, uh, it, I think it's an incredible opportunity. I mean, I think I, I don't imagine we're going to see this opportunity for another, um, you know, decade or, or mm-hmm. so. I think in the next this next 10 years um, is going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, especially in the next, you know, six months. I, you know, we've mentioned the long term demographic trends, and that's not even counting in, you know, the rise in millennials and Gen Z renters um, or, or the rise in household formations or anything like that. Really thinking about the short term um, aspects of inflation and how you know people are piling into the multifamily market during yeah. the pandemic's recovery um, that's really going to move um, move the market significantly yeah crazy times to be alive just just yeah. I want to just super briefly just because mm-hmm. I think it's important to look at the reports and again if you want to like get all these reports sent to your inbox just once a week capitalllc.com slash newsletter we're just going to fill your inbox up just once a week not like an annoying rate but like once a week you're just going to get just solid content and data um you can go to greatreport.com and also see it like every day, but you know, that that's for, you know, people who are really into it and like serious investors, I would say. So, <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, but so year over year rent growth, um, all asset classes, this is high end, low end, um, national average, as you said, Matt is 15.3%, but on the lifestyle asset classes, um, the rent growth year over year is 17.6%. And then for, um, renters by necessity, um, so it's more workforce housing. We're talking about a rent growth. Um, a little bit lower uh, 13.2. Um, that's the metric I'm going to be watching pretty closely as we see those wages in the kind of that bottom or last quartile um, increase. Um, at least that's that's what we're that's what we're seeing on the ground. Um, but uh, you know, but let's 15 percent national year over yeah. year rent growth. One of the things that this, that this report did note um, was the occupancy is still awful type. Yep. <laughs> it's still about 96% um, at this point. And I thought it was kind of interesting. There's some slipping occupancy in some of the hot markets like Phoenix and Las Vegas. It hasn't really curtailed rent growth in those markets, but um, but I think it's still something to watch. And uh, and they also, in near the end of the report, they talk about the supply and the percent of co- the per- uh, completions as uh, as a percentage of supply. And it's it's really interesting looking at how there's a sliver in some in some areas and and in others and especially some of these hot markets there's a lot of new supply coming online and I think that could really change the market. Yeah, I, I think that changes the market dynamics because there is a ton of supply coming yeah. in, especially a handful of markets in the in the Sun Belt, New York, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, just just real quick, Matt, before we move on, just because you know we're always taking a little bit closer look uh, at our hometown, Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, the Indianapolis's number, what is it? One, two, three, four, I guess six, um, for all asset class rent month over month rent growth. 
There we go. That's pretty good. That's not and good. for lifestyle renters, or uh, yeah, renters by necessity, I'm sorry, uh, it's number four. So it's it's making some really mm-hmm. it's it's and, mm-hmm. and so it, it does seem to jive well with your comments. I think we've talked a little yeah. bit about the it, the growth of the industrial market yeah. in the um, in Indianapolis, and um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think it's just there's different economic drivers in different markets, and mm-hmm. I think that there is ton of growth in the logistics sector in Indy because like there's just tons of jobs and they're all you know yeah they're all pretty decently paying um, jobs. Um, well, so Matt, is there anything else on this report you wanted? Yeah, to Yeah, I just wanted, wanted to, to touch to a little bit on. The, um, you just scroll past it a little bit. Um, it talks about yeah. Mm-hmm. Completions as percent of total stock. Now you see some of these. The highest rent growth is kind of the highest number of completions as a percent of total stock. Um, Austin's number one uh, in terms of rent growth or, or and rent expectations. Twenty-two percent rent growth as of February twenty twenty-two since last year, and they're bringing five point three percent of total stock online. Yeah. One twentieth of <laughs> it's almost like maybe there's some math equation, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, the five bringing five percent of total stock online—that seems like a lot. I don't know what the typical numbers are. That's um, a lot. But yeah. it, it seems I mean, like yeah. a whole lot. I think uh, the top, um, and I don't that I've seen recently is Huntsville. I'm trying to find this on this on this list. Maybe Huntsville's not a big enough market or, or something. But I think Huntsville is topping the list for um, at least pipeline construction of existing mm. inventory. I think it's like twelve percent. Um, but that that that's an outlier. Nashville, I think, also an outlier. Very high. Yeah. Um. You know. So these are completion. So these are completions. So this is lagging. So the, so the Huntsville and Nashville, those are. Um, I think that that's like I think that's like permits. Yeah. Um. So that's going to be coming online. Um, Sacramento so- seems very interesting. It's got a high rent growth, but only one point three percent. Um, completions as yeah. a percentage of total stock. Yeah. Very interesting. Anything else on this report? Again, Yari does a great job. You know, for, you know, really gets into detail. Um, no, I just wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about that because I know we talked about it last uh, last week, and uh, and I would be remiss if. 100 percent. So let, let's talk about a little. Keep talking about the Midwest just um, a little bit. You know, where Sun Belt gets a ton of attention. Um, and you can go a lot of places. We talk about the Sunbelt a lot, and um, a lot of people are a lot of people are moving into the Sunbelt. There's a lot of investors in the Sunbelt. Some great markets in in the Sunbelt. It's a different return profile. You're more speculating on this future growth and upside. A little bit you less know, cash flow. I we talked last yeah. last week. We talked about that billionaire investor who was dumping yeah. two two billion half of his all of his investments um, in the Sunbelt markets. Yep. He was thinking that they're going to be oversupplied that's just one investor yeah one guy. big investor and he's a and he he probably has a lot of information that i don't have um you know what but, just on that note talking about houston because he was based in houston mm-hmm. oil prices up good for oh, houston yeah, that, yeah we're yeah, not an investor in houston yeah. but just you know good good on those that who um who are you kind of live yeah. and die by the, the you know oil industry they say not as much anymore but anyway yeah um but we like the Midwest. Stability remains hallmark of the Midwest. And, um, you know, uh, this was, this Matt, was a you, funny report. Yeah, this is a funny. This is a good report. It, it's very similar to other Midwest reports um, and other just in general from the national outlets in terms of talking about different markets. The Midwest is always the most neglected. Um, Matt, you had some good uh, opinions and comments on, yeah. on that. I, I, I don't know how appropriate this is, but just, lay it uh, on. you know, Real Page wrote this article is 200, I did the word count here, 240 words. Did you on this. count by hand or did you copy? No, I, I copy paste. <laughs> uh, but I did, you know, I did the word count, 240 scant words in this article. 
And there was another recent article on the Sunbelt on a Sunbelt renters that was 1,100 words. So that's just a, a little clue on what RealPage is paying attention to. And you know what? RealPage, fine. You can continue to depict Midwestern states as a boring do, afterthought. Do you think that's they're ceding territory to us in the Gray Report? That's, There's like you guys, you guys right, got yeah, it covered. Yeah, yeah. We can't. We don't even want to compete. That's you know, right. just we're be, we're just letting, letting us take real care page. Of it. Let us do it. We can cover the Midwest. You don't have to. Just send us the raw shit. Send us the, uh, the the Excel file. Send us the data. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll take we'll, care we'll, of it we'll from here. It. And honestly, it's like fine. Don't notice us. We don't want. You know, we don't want all these clamoring competition. There is healthy competition. It is liquid. These markets are liquid enough where you can find and they're growing. Uh, yeah, buyer. I, yeah. Um. So so at this point, it's like fine. Don't don't tell anyone. Leave more for us. That's that's totally fine. And, and this isn't a new phenomenon. I'm like I was saying. I was at NMHC National Multi Family Housing Council's annual meeting in 2000 and 2020 actually just before the pandemic um and i was in the participating in their strategies and outlook conference um and yeah the midwest was like a, a side note like we're going to talk about we're going to talk about uh the midwest for just like a quick second yeah, like yeah. and but like hardly ever mentioned it and i'm just sitting there and i'm like fine don't please yeah, don't yeah. don't don't tell anybody about this we're good we're okay. like let us get all this cash yeah. flow let us get these good <laughs> deals please do not just pile into some hey, of these markets send them to seattle send them to salt lake city to austin boston baltimore that's fine you can send all, <laughs> yeah. all those all that competition over there we're okay it, it, ex exactly and again so what this creates and what excites us about it is it creates inefficiency in the market because everyone's looking left and we're going to go right mm -hmm. zigging when they're zagging all, all that and, all that fun stuff creates opportunity and that's that's the real this is why i feel so confident saying this is because there continue to be people living in all of these cities now we have a graph right here for the listeners where um it shows a bunch of these different uh, midwestern cities not a bunch. You know, when they're talking about Sunbelt, they actually recorded 19 individually named cities. Now, in this in this graph, they have uh, like six or seven cities, and three of them are literally grayed out. Indianapolis, Columbus, and Cincinnati are grayed out for, for some reason, uh, almost as if to further de-emphasize. But I think maybe grayed out, gray report, they're sending us a message. Ah, uh, that's a really good point, Matt. Yeah, so they've <laughs> combined indie. Can't even speak. Bell all of Indianapolis or yeah. Cincinnati. You could have given its own freaking line because you've got the information. It would be literally you've got to put anyway. Yeah. So yeah, Indianapolis, Columbus, and Cincinnati are all combined because according to them, um, well, I guess they have the lines, but they're they're saying they they trade together, which I don't disagree. I don't disagree with. They have a lot of similarities, but um, so do all the other Sunbelt yeah. markets. They didn't combine those. Yeah, they're lumping what them gives? together. Um, it's what still, gives? you can't, can, you can't distinguish Indy Columbus and Cincinnati. They're all the same color on this graph because you know what? They're like, eh, who cares? Yeah. I care. We care. But, but I don't care that you care. That's fine. I don't care that you don't care. Real page. <laughs> yeah. But, well, you know, there's always room for improvement. Yeah. Um, and, and this is another, this is another good point too, is, um, and I've said this before is there are still deals out there as nervous as i was at the beginning of this newsletter talking about inflation and the possibility that so many investors are going to flood the market and make um and make multifamily investments less profitable there are still places where people aren't noticing things and one of these could be in midwestern markets which like i said continue to have people living breathing yeah. renting apartments and there's going to be more of them well up. and even in the midwest i mean we had an experience i mean we again talk about this portfolio a bunch that we, that we lost out on mm -hmm. um but we 
at the same time, we're bidding on another deal just a little bit north in yeah. West Lafayette, which is like an hour away from Indianapolis, college town, home of Purdue University, a lot of economic drivers. You live there for mm-hmm. you went to school there, Matt. Um, not going anywhere. It, it, people, it just like it, again. There's been price appreciation, but it's just not as competitive. Yeah. And we're able to, you know, we've got under LOI this awesome, you know, 200 unit, you know, and 2001, 2019 built deal. And this is what, when I think of, and I, I talked about this when we were, you know, when we got the deal is, um, is there are, there's all this dry powder, yeah. but they, this, the people that are, that going are the same with this, they four markets, they don't, yeah, they're going to the same markets and they just don't have the information. It's like, they're not either. They don't have the information or they're not willing to do the work to look into all the mm-hmm. other small markets to search out. Yeah. They just can't get, yeah. can't get the info. And it's if crowded. you have it, then you're, then you're set. It's becoming a crowded trade to some degree. Yeah. Um, not that there aren't reasons for, um, those markets doing well. I mean, great migration, you know, tax and business friendly, you know, there's, they've got a lot of things going for them not to discount that, but you can have a great, um, you can have a great investment and great thesis, but you know, your timing can be wrong or can be at the wrong price. Yeah. You know, (laughs) you know, uh, it's, I, I always think of, you know, you think of a market as this kind of, um, this mass of people buying and selling and trading, but ultimately like when you're going down to an individual deal, now these deals are millions of dollars, so it's no, no small undertaking, but you're not getting a whole lot. It's not like you're bidding against hundred people. It could be one or two or five. Yeah. Ultimately, at the end, you're. It's not a crowded auction house. This is just, this is just a smaller handful of people, mm-hmm. and they've got things and they've got their own considerations that really make it a very possible thing for you to find a deal. Um, so that's what. But really it's all is, about. It's all about me. Um, it's all statistics and probabilities and making enough attempts. Yeah. Um, because. Um, our frequency of offers this year is much higher and our win ratio is slightly, well, it's probably about the same, but we're, we've gotten more deals because we've put out more offers mm-hmm. and we've more conversations, more markets. And so it, again, like any, any goal or any you know problem, it's just a matter of like understanding the amount of effort it's going to require to achieve yeah. that goal. And that, that's what most people miss is that they, they look at where they are and what they want to achieve and they don't, they don't quantify the steps that are going, mm-hmm. it's going to take. And so well, what I, what I was thinking is, is like, if this was like perfectly priced, then it may not be as easy to do this, to kind of wait out the market and tell, and tell and find a, a deal that meets and, and really, yeah. you know, let the numbers play in your favor. But, but because it is, there are less buyers it is a little bit less liquid. If you're trying hard enough, you can, you really can't find a deal. And yeah, I, yeah that's been the most encouraging thing um, to uh, learn about. And I think there's a lot of like tactical, like surgical uh, opportunities not yeah. to use like buzzwords like that. <laughs> but like um, there are some submarkets that even, or like whole sides of town where, um, you can lump it into me like, this isn't the most attractive side of town, mm-hmm. but then there's just like one little area yeah. that is like very positive, um, demand drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's like, well, if you go a little further that way, there's a ton of jobs yeah. and I'm, you know, I'm thinking, you know, what I'm thinking about right now, just, you know, they can, like the East side of Indianapolis, you know, um, the near East side, not the best, mm-hmm. not the best. You got some crime, you got lower incomes, lower housing prices, um, stable population, you know, stable population, mm-hmm. but like, it's just not, it's not like your ideal. We've owned properties there though. And they do great. If you go a little bit further east, it becomes much more suburban. There's a ton, the, there's millions of square feet of industrial under construction. It's, yeah. it's pretty gray collar, blue collar, gray collar. Um, but ton of demand with zero new supply and it gets lumped in with the entire east side. Yeah. And so people are like, oh, I don't want to go to the east side. But it's like, well, are you just lumping all of the east side into one category? 
And it takes that specific market knowledge, um, which allows you to exploit the inefficiencies in the market. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you know, we're, we're picking up a property right now that I think we're buying at steep discount compared to similar aged assets in the Indianapolis market. I mean, yeah. up to $80,000 of kind of built in equity, you know, sort of. Um, but even it's ha half that. Um, did I say 40 million, 40,000 or 80,000, 80, 80, 80, yeah, 80,000, yeah, 80, $80,000 of built in equity, but even half of that is still, you know, still great on a per unit basis. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's worth getting granular and, and focusing on the markets that you really know and finding those opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like, I, I know people investing in New York and saying, people say you can't invest in New York, but I know people who are doing it. They just know their markets so well yeah. and they get in there. And again, it's surgical and tactical and you're not broad based mm -hmm. um you can start from a broad standpoint but you got to kind of get more um yeah granular yeah. at some point gotta live there sometimes you gotta live there at least time in the market that is um for sure so um matt to wrap things up just to put a book in it you know i think there's going to be an announcement from the federal reserve either um i, I forget if they're meeting today if they're going to be announcing today i think they're now meeting today and announcing tomorrow um we got right ike yeah uh, most likely 25 basis points. Will we see more? I mean, that, that's definitely going to affect the economy. We shall see. We'll see future inflation. Maybe but, the Fred just doesn't need to do anything. Yeah, <laughs> that's just, yeah. It would be yeah. Um, what an what an idea. But then it's like they've already done it. So like it's yeah. like they broke it. So yeah. or you know, they're in charge of it. Every we are here because yeah. partially because of them. So it's like well now you, you, kind of sort of their responsibilities. Yeah. But. Um, the most important thing is to have the right pieces of information to write, make the right decisions. Yeah. That's what we've been dedicated to here on The Gray Report. Um, again, three real ways to stay in touch with The Gray Report. One, subscribe to The Gray Capital YouTube channel where we're posting uh, Gray Report episodes as well as other um, useful multifamily content. Two, sign up for the newsletter, um, graycapitalllc.com slash newsletter. Three, the podcast. And... I'm a miss. There's a fourth way. Just go to freaking go to greatreport.com. It's uh, mm -hmm. your number one source. It's the number one uh, multifamily intelligence aggregator on the world wide web. If you find a better one, let me know. Yeah, let us know. I don't know. I don't know of one that exists. Um, yeah. If you are accredited investor and you are if you hear what we're saying, you're like, I think this strategy, what they're doing, makes sense. Maybe investing in the Midwest large apartments or cash flow. Again, if you're an accredited investor, just go to just gray.fund in your browser. That's going to bring you to um, the landing page for the gray fund. That is the real estate investment fund sponsored by gray capital. Um, that, you know, if you heard about some of the deals we have under LY, those are all going into the gray fund. So I would check that out. Um, gray.fund. Again, if you are an accredited investor, it's only open to accredited investors. Um, and it's going to be open for a short time. Um, hundred thousand dollar minimum. That's bumping up to two fifty. Um, relatively soon. I'm going to probably have our first capital call here in the next month or so. So you want to hop on over to gray.fund to learn more and get signed up today. Matt, any uh, closing remarks? I, I got nothing. I, you know what? This is, it is really an exciting time. Like I said, you can pick your emotion, anxiety, or excitement. I hope that people are excited. I'd like to be optimistic. And I think that there's a lot of good reasons um, for people to, to keep working. Yeah, I agree. I, a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of pain in the world that that, yeah. that we feel and sympathize with. Um, and I think that's it's important to keep ear to the ground and uh, mm -hmm. one eye out, open for the weather. That's right. Ooh, nice. Right. Yep. Good old uh, seafaring term. Nautical. 
All right. Um, this has been a wonderful episode. We appreciate you watching us, you know, like subscribe and leave a comment below. If you liked what you heard, you didn't like, or if you have an, a different opinion of us, always love to hear it. And if there's ever any topics that you want us to cover, just drop them in the comment section below and um, that'll uh, go right to the top of our list. All right. We'll catch you next week.